0: What role do colleges and universities play in building an anti-racist future? This podcast series, Building the Anti-Racist College and University, seeks to begin examining this question. Through interviews with administrators, faculty, researchers, policy experts, historians, and students, each episode in this series examines one important piece of beginning to conceptualize anti-racist colleges and universities of the present and future. This series was produced as part of a term project during fall 2020 for higher education leadership 7372, diversity and culture in higher education at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas, United States. The foundation for this project was Ibram Kendi's 2019 text how to be an anti-racist. Each student in the course designed one episode seeking to unpack, question, problematize, or dissect a particular area related to building anti-racist colleges and universities. The series in no way is exhaustive, prescriptive, or capable of answering every question. But, Collectively, the series adds to an ongoing conversation in higher education about anti-racist futures. We hope it inspires dialogue, reflection, engagement, and action on colleges and universities in the United States and around the world. We hope it inspires ongoing work, research, activism, policy, local, regional, national, and international action. We hope it brings us one step closer to an anti-racist future in post-secondary education. This episode is Brave Spaces in Community Colleges.
1: Several higher education institutions have promoted the idea of providing staff, faculty, and students with safe spaces, based on the idea that this provides participants with a space to feel comfortable expressing their points of view without fear of being judged. Others, such as Brian Arau and Christy Clements, authors of From Safe Spaces to Brave Spaces, emphasize the need to move beyond safe spaces as several ideas and practices implemented under this umbrella have resulted in non-intended outcomes, such as promising participants a sense of safety. The problem is that a sense of safety can be so detrimental as to replicate white dominance and peoples of color subordination. This reinforces racism by the adjusting to provide a space where white people feel safe and impose their perceptions of safety for all. To better understand the need to move from safe spaces to brave spaces towards a better understanding of diversity, I was honored to discuss with Dr. Arao and Dr. Thomas about brave spaces, focusing mainly on anti-racist brave spaces in community colleges. Dr. Arao serves as the Associate Dean of Students and Chief of Staff at UC Santa Cruz. Brian has worked in Students Affairs for 20 years with experience in residential education, student conduct, student activities, student government, basic need programs, advising student-run organizations, and social justice education. Brian resides in Santa Cruz with his husband, Jim, their two cats, Spice and Drusilla, and their dog, Paloma. In his spare time, he enjoys video games, comic books, weightlifting, and plant-based cooking. Dr. Jackie C. Thomas Jr. has been actively involved for the past 16 years in supporting students, advocating for faculty and staff, building high-performing teams, strengthening communities, and working to get more people access to higher education. Since 2016, Dr. Thomas has served as the Chief Strategist at Long Star College, Tumble. In his capacity, he serves on the President's Executive Cabinet and is responsible for providing senior level leadership to the Office of Strategic Initiatives. You may be familiar with the concept of safe spaces and less familiar with brave spaces concept, especially when discussing the importance of creating anti-racist brave spaces in community colleges. Dr. Arao help us to deep into why it is important to promote diversity in the first place.
2: Oh my goodness, what an excellent question. My perspective and my philosophy of education, very broadly speaking, is that you know diversity isn't ancillary to education; um, diversity is foundational to education. Um, that, that the purpose, really, of, of education, um, and I would say in particular, you know, public education mm-hmm. from from the primary grades all the way up through you know advanced degrees, um, you know, should be to promote. Uh, you know, the achievement or or kind of constant improvement of societies in which a diverse group of people can all thrive. There can be a space for for everyone and, and opportunities for everyone to participate in the shaping of that society.
1: Centering this conversation on community college, Dr. Thomas emphasized one of the prime characteristics of a community college, a diverse student body and how vital it is to embrace diversity.
3: Uh, I I think, you know, diversity is really core to to who we are as a community college. I mean, we've got, we have students from all walks of life, and I think it's important that we recognize the differences, celebrate those differences, and provide a mechanism for those students to feel like that they belong here, and they feel welcome, and they find opportunities to connect to, to the college and the work that we do to support them.
1: Further, Dr. Thomas emphasized the need to be inclusive when talking about diversity.
3: We focus our energy and attention around race and ethnicity, but you know, for me, uh, I want to make sure that we do a, a great job identifying uh, and speaking to all the different elements of of identity that show up at the community college. Whether you know it is connected to your respective faith, or you are a first generation college student, or you are a single parent, or you know you are um, a student who is uh, who identifies as part of the LGBTQ community. I mean, we we. We have students from all walks of life, and I think it's important that we recognize the differences, celebrate those differences, and provide a mechanism for those students to feel like that they belong here and they feel welcome and they find opportunities to connect to to the college and the work that we do to support them.
1: This idea of the educator's role to promote diversity was further explained by Dr. Ryan Aral.
3: It
2: requires us, every single educator, I think, to Mm -hmm. develop the capacity to um, to facilitate students learning about diversity, l- learning about social justice, learning about equity, um, and those are very difficult subjects to teach about, um, or or to to help students to 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 learn about um, and develop deeper understandings of, of diversity. You know, it's it's simultaneously something that is wonderful, but that also means that there are different viewpoints, different perspectives, different lived experiences that students bring with them to the university um, and uh, and oftentimes uh, it can be very challenging for a diverse group of people uh, to to then you know figure out how to engage from and and learn with one another i think the role of the educator is um, is is to um uh is, is to help students themselves to um to engage with each other and to, to build and construct knowledge um Around, around every subject, in particular, I think, diversity issues.
1: Brian has worked extensively on creating brave spaces as an alternative to safe spaces to promote an environment that challenges participants to discuss controversial topics such as racism. He explained how important it is to shift away from the language of safety and toward one of bravery to learn about diversity and social justice, especially in diverse groups.
2: Uh, to have you know a, a deep and real and authentic dialogue across difference about social justice issues in an environment of safety mm-hmm. um now that doesn't that doesn't mean that i don't you know that, that it should be a dangerous space yeah further, yeah right? yeah so so, yes. <laughs> so um you know because sometimes people are like you know what do you mean by that I, I certainly don't mean that it should be a place for you know actual attacks or physical violence or that sorts of, of thing um but, but the when you think about what safety connotes i think it can for many people um, and this was this was my experience you know earlier in my career as, as an educator is that people expected a safe space to feel comfortable um mm-hmm. they expected it to feel like a place where they weren't going to be challenged very much um and and if if they experienced any kind of intense emotionality in that space um then it became for, for them that didn't co- it didn't compute with safety, right? Mm-hmm. um And and I think that the very nature of learning about diversity and social justice, especially in diverse groups, means that people are almost certainly going to feel difficult. It's going to be it's going to be challenging. They'll feel difficult emotions, mm-hmm. um and so for, for me, the idea of, of shifting away from the language of safety and toward one of bravery is 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 a it, I think it is just clearer. It helps to set up. People who engage in, in any sort of learning activity or community um, with a with a more realistic understanding of what that means, um, so that when when the time comes, and it probably will, that they encounter an idea that is hard for them, or um, or a perspective that's really difficult for them to engage with, um, that uh, that at least right from the outset, we we've, we've set we. And, and hopefully set an expectation of this. This might happen. That's the sort of the nature of what we're doing, um, and our goal. You know, with with Brave Space, um, is 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 instead of thinking about how how can we help you to be to get ready for that kind of experience, and to engage through it, right? Um, you know, not to sort of leave you to figure it out for yourself, but um, you know what. Uh, what can can we as as you know educators and also as learning communities, all members of a learning community, what can we do for each other to help one another stay engaged in those moments when they happen, as opposed to retreat from them?
1: Following the idea of educators' role, Dr. Thomas is explained the responsibility of educators to prepare students for the real world.
3: You know, I talk a lot about our responsibility as as educators is to prepare our students to face the the world that they are going to enter upon graduation or upon transfer or upon going into the workforce. And uh, unfortunately, right, you know, all all of the organizations that our folks are gonna feed into may not necessarily operate from this philosophy of, of creating a space where people feel welcomed and supported. Not that it is anti that, but that, you know, maybe they've not been trained on um, the, those fundamental principles of of diversity, equity, inclusion, access, um, social justice. So if that is missing from a space, and we're training students to you know feel like as they are having hard conversations that we are per- trying to kind of coddle them or you know prevent them from having their feelings hurt when they go into a situation where they've got a colleague or a supervisor who um, either doesn't know or doesn't care feel like we're doing them a disservice. Where, as you as you describe brave spaces, right, and this idea of of putting them in a in a space to be to feel challenged, I think that is more realistic, right? When you go into the world or when you're engaging with conversations with people who have different beliefs or different values, uh, to not feel like you've got to resort when it's uncomfortable, but that you feel confident in who you are and your beliefs, and that you can have. a a constructive conversation with somebody without having to feel like you've got to, you know, step away or that you're you're concerned that you your feelings may be hurt or somebody else's feelings may be hurt. So I think, you know, human beings have to be brave. They gotta be brave, right? They've got a, Mm -hmm. a series of barriers, obstacles, challenges, stories, things that they've overcome that have gotten them to the front door of our college. And I would hate to then put them in a space where, you know, they've gone through all this adversity and now all of a sudden we want to try to shelter and protect them, right? I want them to be able to build on those, that challenge, that adversity, you know, build up on that grit to be able to have those hard conversations. And I think we can cultivate that at the community college.
1: The importance of promoting Brave Spaces has been supported by the National Association of Student Personal Administrators, NASPA, because Brave Spaces emphasizes the move from a risk-free space to a space that challenges participants to open an active discussion of controversial topics. Brian expanded on the idea of creating anti-racist, brave spaces.
2: So, so you know, taking the idea of, of, of anti-racism or, or education that's specifically related to anti-racism, um, you know, if if the framework is safe space and and the people who are engaging are racially diverse. Um, then what often can happen is that, um, is that situations that are uncomfortable for um, the white members of that group uh, are sort of coded as well that we shouldn't have those kinds of experiences That's that's a problem we shouldn't, we shouldn't be quote unquote made to feel uncomfortable because of being white. Um, which is of course not the objective, I I don't know that I've ever been involved in any anti racism training that has specifically said we're trying to make white people feel guilty um, or feel badly right um. but it does mean that that if we're talking about anti-racism, that means we have to talk about whiteness and white supremacy. Um, and that means that 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 means that if there's white people engaged in that conversation, they might have to look at that, right? They might have to look at what has my relationship in my life been to these systems and structures of power that um, that while I may have any number of other identities where I don't have the dominant group membership, right? Where, where I don't receive privileges. My whiteness in the United States context and most other contexts, I do get those privileges, right? Um, and it's um and it can be very difficult to experience that. So so when you know you're in an, a conversation about anti-racism, it gets difficult and and white folks say, I'm sorry, this is not a safe space anymore. I can't engage. Mm-hmm. Then, um, then, a, then, what happens is well, we that means we're going to stop looking at racism then, right? <laughs> right? And and we're going to stop trying to to, um, to talk to the parts about this that are hard, which then leaves the people of color who are part of that group um, in a very difficult place of why did we do this? You mm-hmm. know, because um, because the system and structure of racism is untouched now. We're not. We're now no longer going to talk about it because it's uncomfortable for the white people to do that. Um, you know, additionally, I think that, um, that that the expectation of safety then then also you know can layer on an expectation uh, for the people of color that they have to constrain their participation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't matter that they in their lives, and also um, often like you know legacies of generations of structural racism that that people um, from whom they're descended. Have experienced that information doesn't matter in a safe space. Sometimes, um, you know, and, and and the 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 pain and the frustration and the just the intense emotionality that can come from having to engage in that kind of an examination, particularly in a space with white folks who have a very different relationship to those systems and structures of power. Um, uh, you know, they, they feel like, okay, well, if somebody says something that really hurts me, or they say something that makes me feel, you know, sad or frustrated or angry, I'm not even allowed to say that. Because if I do, then people are going to say, well, you're not, making, you're not making this a safe space for people. Um, and so, um, uh, so it, it actually, in an, that then can actually become an act of racism or, or white supremacy mm-hmm. in and of itself. And that it's, it's, it's saying like, yeah, that you have to deal with your own pain, people of color um because because if dealing with your pain means that that folks of white folks might have to experience pain and discomfort then sorry that's that that you know the, the a hierarchy is established mm-hmm. there right about mm-hmm. whose pain is important so um uh so so that's you know uh, sort of a quick explanation from my perspective of 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 why brave space is is really important for in, in, in anti-racist work for white people and for people of color. Um for, for white people again to understand you right this this often is really painful for what for for white people, especially white people who um, hold anti-racist values. It's especially hard, right, for, for them to, to sometimes have to think about or examine like how does something I maybe just said or did mm-hmm. reflect maybe internalized belief in these systems um that I don't think of myself as, as being interested in supporting at all. Um, and and then again, you know, on the on the other hand, for, for folks of color, um uh, it's like I I am actually really intimately familiar as a person of color with how racism feels. Um and and talking about it, you know, can can feel re-traumatizing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so so I know that talking about racism is gonna be um, a difficult experience, especially if I'm talking about it in a, in a um, racially diverse group, um, and and that doesn't feel safe either, right? And so, um, so for so for all those reasons, I think being able to say, like, no, what we're asking everybody to do, whatever your racial um, identity happens to be, um, everybody who's engaging in a dialogue about anti-racism. Uh, uh, is, is going to be, is, is, is engaging in a difficult task, which I think, again, requires bravery rather than safety.
1: Our discussion was centered on the importance of brave spaces in community colleges. Thus, it was essential to understand how frameworks developed at four-year institutions of higher education are applied at the community college level. Dr. Tolmas helped us to better understand this based on his experiences working at a community college level.
3: I recognize you asked about higher ed and the community college, uh, or four-year universities in the community college. I think one of the major differences when we talk about safe space and brave space, and I'm going to try to not make this too long, but in short, uh, oftentimes when you think about the division of student affairs at a university, most of those folks that work there, right, are fed through a master's in higher education program, and have been trained like yourself, like myself, on understanding this work and applying it to our job. Everybody that comes to the community college has not got a master's in higher ed and isn't taking a diversity class or student development theory. It's just a different career pathway. I, I um, I'm actually speaking to uh, a, a group of master students next week. Um, in a higher ed program. And, you know, one of the things that I always do when I have that opportunity is to have a conversation about career pathways into the community college, because what happens Yolanda to your question is if we're not trained on that work, right? If you don't have folks who are graduating from master's programs or, Mm -hmm. you know, working at at, at institutions that are, are fostering an environment where you're having these conversations, when they come to us, Well, number one, that's if they come to us, but if they, when they do, um, oftentimes that work is absent. So for example, you know, you would think that as a large system like Lone Star College, that we would have a chief diversity officer and that there would be offices of diversity and inclusion all throughout the institution. And that's not the case. And that's not a fault of Lone Star, right? It's just um, the research that you're reading, the conversations you're having isn't fundamentally built into how we operate as an institution so we don't have faculty members doing research on you know our sociology faculty our psychology faculty our education faculty aren't cranking out these articles because that's not what they're expected to do so just the infrastructure um at at both four-year universities and two-year institutions are just they're different and and I think because of the the lack of people from from masters programs feeding into the community college things like DEI work end up missing we just don't have it so for us you know i'm grateful that we pulled jeremy kirk from auburn university so bringing him in from a place that's having these conversations right from in an in, in institution that's doing this type of work is a benefit to us but i would argue this is purely anecdotal but if you would look at the workforce at a community college, particularly those that work in student services, I would, I would bet that a majority of them did not go through like a traditional master's in student affairs or counseling program, right? That's just, that we, we have not in higher ed set up a clear pathway into the community college workforce through programs in higher education. We're starting to now Uh, through community college leadership programs but in general when I was in a master's program nobody was saying hey look you should think about working at a community college so that's a long way of saying just from a structural perspective right an organizational perspective we're just not built like four years and we don't have I don't want to say the knowledge base I can't even think of the, the right word but it just we're just not designed to to be current on issues that are coming in from NASPA, right? So we're fortunate that NASPA, you've got a community college division, but that's something I think that was just established more recently, you know? So there's just, we just got work to do, um, but I'm grateful that we are in a place now where we all have to have the conversation. Four year, two year, private, public, the world has opened our eyes up and now we've all got to do the work. Further,
1: Dr. Jackie Thomas shared some experiences and practices at the community college level that might set up safe spaces and also brave spaces. He mentioned the work done by the college civic engagement team to have those hard conversations and the college initiative to build a diversity, equity, and inclusion certification.
3: One of our faculty members like during free speech week there is a wall where students get a chance to write what they want to write and you know, there, when you walk by, when I mean, there are moments that will make you cringe, right? But I respect the fact that we have created a space for students to be able to voice what they feel, what they believe in a space that they've, um, they've established trust in and they've, they feel welcomed in. So I, I, in short, think moving from safe to brave is a great idea. And I think we would be doing our students a disservice by not challenging them to deal with adversity and difficulties and hard conversations at the college when that's what they're gonna face in the real world. Um, Last year built a diversity, equity and inclusion certification that is designed for faculty, staff and administrators to look at kind of different pieces of diversity, equity and inclusion, particularly around racism, -racism, anti-racism identity. There's a section on having an understanding of the students that we serve. We talk about microaggressions. I mean, it's just an amazing program designed by one of our faculty members and a staff member. Um, and, and yeah, I think that we have to be able to have conversations about race and racism, particularly anti-racism. But I also think it's important to be aware of, of where you are, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'll be very transparent in that uh, where we are located um, north of Houston, um, trying to have conversations or or how how do i want to say this Um, i think it's important for us to think through if we want to engage not only our college but our community in discussions around diversity equity and inclusion i don't think we run away from race but i think that we've got to be very strategic in how we approach diversity from you know the the place in texas that we sit so for example you know i want to make sure that we're also having conversations about um how we uh you know how we how we engage with our students from different countries i want to be able to have conversations about um women and leadership right i want to be able to talk talk about um for lack of a better way of describing it kind of subordinate groups that exist whether it's having a conversation about women and the, the power dynamic between men and women in the workplace or having a conversation about social class, which is huge in our area, right? And using it as an entry point, because I think that oftentimes when you talk about race, you talk about anti-racism. Those who are unfamiliar with the topic or feel uncomfortable um, run far, 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 far away, right? Yeah. And I think we've got a responsibility to introduce to people that, you know, when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice, race is a is fundamentally important in those conversations but um I also think that if you when you dive right in into a topic that's that controversial you can turn people away and then you're you know it, it's um it makes it hard for you to do the work so it's really our strategy to kind of it's kind of a two-pronged approach right we are uh, definitely adamant about let's talk about how we can create um professional development opportunities and have conversations, particularly around race and racism and anti-racist practices, but also um, how can we approach other aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion that uh, can engage more people, could have, um, allow us to kind of, for lack of a better way of describing it, sneak in through the back door and then approach some of those more difficult conversations once we've built this foundation Mm -hmm. about what this work does right it's not just about black and white and brown it's also about women it's also about students with disabilities or individuals with disabilities so how do we engage that population it's also about religion and faith and spirituality and how do we have those conversations that build upon um this overarching idea of of dei work but also um allows us to not shy away from hard conversations so that's i mean you know uh, I've, I've kind of gone in a lot of different directions in the conversation, but in short, Yolanda, I think it is, um, yes, we've got to do the work. Two, I think you've also got to be very strategic in how you approach the work, especially if you're trying to find ways to engage stakeholders who may be um, reticent to be involved or feel uncomfortable. And I, you know, I know a lot of this work is about discomfort, but I think it's also about you know coalition building and relationship building and strategy so that we can make sure that we're supporting everybody. And this is coming from a black man, so.
1: Frequently, higher education institutions promote professional development on diversity and inclusion focusing on staff and faculty. An important point made by Dr. Thomas was on how to include students into this critical conversation. We have to do a lot of work with them, but they have a different maybe power level because this is also about students, Maybe asking, should I ask this or should I present my, my point of view in front of a faculty or in, in in front of the chief strategist, for example, Yeah. because they can feel intimidated just because of, of, of you know, the structure. So how do you think, what will be one of the main, um, you know, one thing that you will say, let's do this because this is going to help students to feel brave enough to talk about these issues?
3: Yeah, we, we've got to educate the faculty and the staff. So if if a faculty member can't um, help facilitate a, a conversation or create an environment that warrants difficult conversations because of their own beliefs or values, I think it's going to shut a student out. You know, we mm-hmm. can we can we can create physical spaces all over the place and tell students to come here and debate it out. But you know, a majority of our students spend time in the classroom, so we're. You know, I I praise our student life team because they do an exceptional job of Mm -hmm. planning programs. But, you know, we're not like a four year where, you know, you got programs that can run from nine o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. Our students are coming and they're going. So, you know, we've got to capture them in the classroom and we've got to have faculty who are um, willing to have the difficult conversations. They feel confident facilitating the hard conversations. They're, they're able to to pull out their own personal beliefs and values and and encourage students to have the hard conversations and that's that's really been my approach right I don't want to neglect the students but if we can't if we don't have professionals that can help encourage and facilitate those discussions, we're doing students a disservice.
1: Based on his experience, Dr. Thomas reflect on the steps a community college would need to create an anti-racist campus. He discussed the need to actively practice and encourage dialogue that moves away from a risk-free environment towards a space that promotes more participatory dialogue among different groups, especially in a community college context.
3: Yeah, I think I think we've got to work, initially work with the people who are interested, or the, the people who are like, I'm 100% on board, or the people who are like, tell me more, right? Um and, and use that as a way to start building this coalition of advocates and supporters of the work so that over time, those who feel like it's nonsense start to become the minority. And this is the reality, right? We are not going to be able to change it. We're not gonna turn everybody into a DEI advocate or ally. Mm-hmm. That's just not gonna work. I mean, it's, it's not gonna happen. We can do everything that we can, but some people are very much set on those core values and beliefs that make them who they are. And this work is either not interesting or they feel like it doesn't apply to them. And I think we could spend all of our time spinning our wheels trying to flip them or we could spend our time working with the folks who tell me more or really, really wanna do the work and allow them to um, help us build upon a culture that is rooted in those fundamental principles of of equity and access and diversity and inclusion and social justice. And, and for me, that's the approach that I would take.
1: Complementary to the ideas provided by Dr. Thomas, Brian reflected on the different kind of work that needs to happen to engage people who are not ready to be part of or have different levels of understanding about the idea of an anti-racist, brave space.
2: You know, and so I, I think about, you know, what are the ways to, um, uh to you know kind of slowly start planting seeds you know in in spaces where you know folks like oh maybe you haven't thought about this before right um you know even introduce introduce concepts like you know what is equity what does that mean you know Mm -hmm. um uh and and to find kind of the natural opportunities and touch points that that um that might exist for, for for students to do that um i've sometimes talked about um you know, finding opportunities to, quote unquote, sneak it in. Yeah, I like <laughs> um, that term. <laughs> uh, and, and sometimes for me, it's, it's around like stuff that like I really like to do and I think is really interesting and I know students do as well, which isn't directly connected um, or, or isn't kind of obviously associated with, you know, social justice work, you know. So one example of that for me is um, comic books. I love comic books. I love superheroes. I always have. Um, And and my love for them has deepened as I've gotten older, in part because um, of the ways in which I think that, you know, stories about superheroes and and stories that happen in comic books um, have uh, have always been and are really leaning into their capacity to be, you know, ways for us to reimagine how the world could be. uh you know uh and so you know like i find that um there are so many great opportunities like you know when i'm you know students are like i love marvel movies like me too and we talk about them um but you can talk about like race race shows up in marvel movies actually like let's talk about that right like and and let's talk about how it shows up you know like isn't it interesting that you know the first group of avengers we're all white. <laughs> all of them. Um, like what's that about? You know? Um, and really and, and same, but I'm asking it as a serious question, like how did that happen? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and how and why is it starting to shift? And why are people, you know, thinking about like, you know, uh, the the kind of the racial makeup of our superheroes nowadays, the gender makeup, right? Like one of them was a woman. Only yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Um, like what's again, what's that about? Um uh, you know, like how do queer identities show up? How does disability show up? I mean, there's so many different um, interesting opportunities to, um, I, I, again, I think with a group that like, you know, like, oh, I wasn't necessarily accepting to think about this, but but you're talking about it with me in this context that feels kind of fun and interesting and, and mm-hmm. safe for me, like, I know something about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have definitely found that that is a cool way to um, to, again, get folks primed and ready for, gosh, maybe I do want to go to that thing that's like an anti-racist brave space. Like maybe that would be interesting to me. I didn't think it would be before, but like I just had this like interesting conversation about this thing I'm super passionate about and the way that race is part of it.
1: To conclude our interesting discussion about brave spaces, focusing mainly on anti-racist brave spaces in community college, Dr. Arrau emphasized on the importance of being critical educators and always thinking critically about the context Figuring out the kind of principles and the theoretical and the opinions that guide us, and think about how to do that differently in each particular environment. So, think about this work as a framework that is evolving, and thus it's vital to keep this conversation going, to hear from others, to have meaningful conversations about brave space. Dr. Jackie Thomas agreed that it's crucial to have meaningful discussions, take, into, take time to think about the best way to do this work and be mindful of the potential consequences of the implemented strategies on each specific institution and environment. To take time to research, to look at trends and see how leaders in other institutions, four year and two year are doing this work that can be adapted, to listen to students and most importantly, to work for the right reasons. As discussed with our two guest speakers, there is an imperative need to continue this vital conversation about creating anti-racist brave spaces in community colleges. If you're interested in this important topic, you can read Dr. Arao's article from Safe Space to Brave Space and or contact him as he's interested in having meaningful conversations to advance this topic. A link to the article is provided on the notes of this podcast. I want to thank my two guest speakers for sharing their knowledge and experiences And thanks to you all for listening.
0: This podcast series was produced by Paul Eaton, Assistant Professor of Educational Leadership at Sam Houston State University, in conjunction with doctoral scholars enrolled in Higher Education Leadership 7372, Diversity and Culture in Higher Education, during Fall 2020. You can contact Paul Eaton via email at pwe003 at shsu.edu. Content and perspectives presented in this series are intended for educational use. You can download a copy of episode transcripts and show notes at http backslash backslash bit.ly backslash anti-racist college. The views and opinions expressed on this program and series are those of the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Sam Houston State University. Thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Building the Anti-Racist College and University.